welcome to the Student Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Rutherford from Learn, Grow, Become, where we work with universities and higher education providers to empower mature age and part-time students to gain the mindset, the strategies, and the confidence to succeed in their studies. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. We've got joining us Jonathan Hassel. Jonathan is an ADHD and executive function coach and he's the director of Connect ADHD Coaching. Until recently, he was a board member of ADHD Australia and co-editor of the ADHD Australia newsletter, The Voice. Jonathan's current focus is to translate relevant executive function theory and ADHD coaching practice to provide models and tools that support individuals with ADHD. The ultimate aim being to embrace their native neurobiology and create pathways to recognise and realise their potential. So thank you for joining us, Jonathan. My pleasure. Uh, So I guess I wanted to start um, today's podcast with a bit of a confession. So for me, until this year, when I had some uni students who were doing the Learn to Learn program, and they shared with me how it helped them with their ADHD which until that point I didn't even realise was a problem for adults. So can you share with us a bit about how prevalent ADHD is in our adult population and also the impact that it has for a student? Right. Well, the the current literature supports about 4.4% of the um, population will have ADHD as an adult. Now, uh, it's important to be aware that um, as far as... We, we know there's not good evidence to support there's a separate thing called adult ADHD, that it's a continuation of childhood ADHD, which you're born with. So um, it doesn't really matter when you get diagnosed, you've had it since birth. Um, and that those figures tend to get, uh, in terms of adult presentation, I think are, are likely to grow um, over time because there is a bias in presentation as an adult. So in other words, as we get older, we tend to choose environments and workplaces that we feel naturally fit us better. And um, this is what we call, you know, an environmental bias. So we, we will bias towards that, which means that in the past, a lot of people with ADHD didn't do jobs that required close tension, attention in front of others, for example, study. But we know that's changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. So even in, you know, since I went to school, which was not that long ago, um, <laughs> a fair while, but not that long. But, but even since I went to school, we were, my wife and I were talking about this last night, is that it's remarkable that when I went to school, a good chunk of my grade 10 year went away to do trades um, or secretarial mm-hmm. work or whatever. Um, and then, um, you know, only a small percentage um, of even those that went through to grade 12 went on to university. And now that's changed with most people going through to grade 12 and a lot, much larger number going through to tertiary studies. So I think it's highly likely we're going to become more and more aware of the ADHD presentation. And because, you know, with kids, we see it at, you know, roughly 7%. So um, there's, there's obviously some that are, are modifying and adapting, but I think we're going to see more of it. Yeah, okay. And so can you tell us a bit about how ADHD coaching Uh, for students differs from other approaches for managing and supporting ADHD in adults, particularly in a higher education setting. 
Yeah, okay. So coaching starts from the premise of, of seeing the person as not broken. Yep. We see we see that people have all they have the answers, they have the ability to do things, they just need to figure out how. Um, so and, and I suppose a really good way of thinking about ADHD coaching as opposed to say life coaching or other forms of coaching is that we probably more straddle across between concepts of say organizational psychology and clinical psychology with the coaching approach which is that we, we, particularly with students, we'll sit down and we under, first we've got to understand their experience and their problems. Then we help them understand it through an ADHD lens. So in other words, we have to know a lot about ADHD. Um, and often that's quite illuminating to the student um, to actually, oh, that's why I do that, <laughs> right? And, and you know, then even bringing their attention to patterns of behavior. And then from there, the process is that we, we, we focus on a particular problem that they want to resolve. And then we work on that. And my approach is that I start with, okay, let's really understand the problem. So let's really dig into it. So I'll ask a lot of questions mm -hmm. um, that seem like I'm really picking it apart. But the, the reason for that is that if in coaching, we find that if we focus on the detail, that it not only helps the client understand the problem better, but there's, there's going to be a ripple effect through other functional areas. So if we fix this, we're going to, if we understand this well enough, we're going to understand other areas. And, and one of the things we do as humans, which is problematic, is we generalise. Mm. So if I say, say to someone, so, um, okay, so tell me about the problem with getting that assignment started. Now, they'll go straight to, well, yeah, you know, I always have problems with assignments. And it's always this, and it's always that. And this generalization loses the detail. So I get them to drill in on the detail. And as I say, I'm going to ask a lot of stupid questions uh, or, or obvious questions. Then what we do is we put that, we contrast that with what we know about ADHD. And so there's a lot of education about how their brain works and, and how they can start to manipulate it because there's the opportunity. I should also add too that in that, I'm also looking for times when they have done things well because there'll be opportunities in that too. And then finally, what we do is we sit down and say, okay, well, we understand the problem. We understand the ADHD component. We're aware of when you actually have been successful at this. So let's put all that together and come up with some solutions. And generally, I like to really focus on, you know, the simplest solution is the best. And then it's about, then the last part is about implementation of that solution. And, and for that, it's, it's important um, that, you know, I, I, I've always had a policy of free um, uh, uh, in-between session access. <clears throat> um, and the reason, you know, you can phone, you can text, you can email me. And the reason I do that is that it's that point where the rubber hits the road that you're going to find out what works and what doesn't work. And often a five-minute phone call can salvage something that feels like it's not working. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's something that we don't give enough attention to is that, that part of the experience when you're applying. And then obviously we review what happened at the end and then try and think about, well, how can we make that a regular solution in my life? Yeah, I like that. That sounds really good. And I mean, I've got a background in coaching and as you say, it's like a totally different focus because you take bringing that psychological element and that understanding of what it actually means to have ADHD. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the things that universities or other higher ed providers actually do differently that would better support these students, whether or not they share that they actually have these ADHD challenges? 
Yeah, okay. And, and that, the last thing you said is probably a really good point to start on, is to say that, look, you know, there'll be people with ADHD diagnoses. Um, firstly, that doesn't mean they're all going to look the same, obviously, because it, it impacts people in different ways. The, the condition and the, the primary symptoms are very consistent. But the, the expression of that in the world can be quite different between people, depending on how they've been brought up, what their education is, a whole pile of things. Um, male or female can often have a massive difference in terms of presentation. Um, so, so that's the first part is that, is that people with ADHD uh, uh, do not have a broken part of their brain. They, they are fueled differently. They have an inconsistent availability of, we think, dopamine primarily. So that means that sometimes the fuel's there and everything works, and sometimes it doesn't. So first I'm going to be aware of that it's incredibly frustrating that they can perform sometimes and not other times, and that doesn't reinforce um, the idea of reliability in themselves. So we need to support that. We need to bring their attention to, yeah, you can do this. Let's figure it out. Let's figure out how to make it work and figure out what's getting in the way. The other thing is, too, is not everyone will have an ADHD diagnosis, but they will look very much like ADHD. Now, just because they haven't got a diagnosis doesn't really matter at that point. I mean, ultimately, the diagnosis is a useful thing to have, and you know, it opens up more treatment options. But um, they may not even meet the criteria, but they may still have problems at uni. Um, so, if someone presents and they are presenting with executive function challenges, so problems with attention, with um, organisation of of any resource, including time. Um, of um, working memory issues about not appearing to be able to process internally and needing to ex externalise, um, stuff like that, if, and even emotional regulation. If they're presenting with those sorts of problems, then, then I would be addressing them in the same way, that we've fundamentally got an executive function problem, which leads me to my second point, which is we need to see this through an executive function lens. It, it, is, it is like the Rosetta Stone for, for ADHD, particularly, well, for me anyway. Um, and it takes a little bit to get your head around. And our executive function is our ability to self-regulate our thinking and intern our behaviour towards few, our future success. Okay? So it's how we, how we regulate, direct our attention. It's how we regulate our emotions, including motivation. It's how we um, manage our working memory or short-term memory, the holding ideas in forefront of mind and organising it. It also probably has links into how we access long-term memory um, because people with ADHD have fine long-term memories. It's just their filing system isn't great. So they need to actually have more clues to access that information or more, like better, a better breadcrumb trail. Um, so they're the main ones. And the other things that are, you know, will be around, so time management will be a major issue. And I must stress with ADHD, most people with ADHD do not have a, a concept of time. It, it literally is fluid to them. So, so time management needs to be really concrete. Um, and um, finally, self-directed talk is another thing that people don't talk about enough. So this is the little voice inside our head where we command ourselves People with ADHD, invariably, regardless of how positive their environment, will grow up with a lot of negative messages in there. Um, and it's because often things went wrong when you didn't understand why. So being really conscious of, of even getting people to say, so what are you going to tell yourself when you come to that point? What, what's, what's your mantra? What's phrase you're going to use? And I know it sounds corny, but, you know, those old 90s habits of, of waking up and giving yourself your morning mantra, you know, the affirmations, are actually really useful exercises <clears throat> because they tool you up to think that way. So we need to start from an executive function framework. 
The next thing is in applying that, we need to think about that, that this inconsistency bit means we have to be a bit clever, a bit more clever with our accommodations. So a lot of people that I coach get some pretty standard accommodations in terms of being able to go into a smaller exam room. Most of them are around exams um, or, um, you know, extra time for, for breaks. Um, and they're good and it's great that the unis do that. And I'm really appreciative that the support services are so engaged to help these people. Um, but not all of them do better in smaller quiet room. Um, we need to be aware that for some people, the silence can be deafening. So, so being in the room with everyone else can actually feel better for some people. Um, we also need to think about, well, again, using that executive function framework, what are the challenges? So, for example, one thing I'd love to see as accommodation is the ability to make brief notes in perusal time because that short-term working memory thing and often the associated anxiety that often goes with ADHD means that as people are perusing, they're just frantically rushing through trying to answer them in their heads. When really what I want someone with ADHD to do because of the time management issues is to actually be able to just make marks or break the thing up into sections so they can say, okay, that should take half an hour, that should take half an hour. And basically so they can map the, the exam. The other thing that, um, oh, and, and in terms of the breaks too, that the, actually being able to get up and move is really helpful. So um, being able to, you know, pace themselves and actually learn to manage their attention because attention's cyclic. Um, people without ADHD just do it naturally. They have little lapses and then they come back. People with ADHD try and push through until they tap out and particularly under high pressure of things like exams. So getting them to take regular breaks is really critical. Um, and, you know, I, I coached a lady who's, or I've coached several doctors through their finals, um, and um, both at the sort of GP level and at specialty level. And, um, again, getting them to take breaks during their, their assessments is really hard to do and really but really critical. It makes a big difference. In terms of assignments, uh, sorry, I've got a list. Um, in terms <laughs> of assignments, again, they're phenomenally accommodating and, and again, very appreciative of that. Um, However, I have seen a slight increase in the standing extension. By that, I mean that they, they're basically told after so many extensions, well, obviously you're having a problem with this, so guess what? Just, just, just ring through and we'll always give you an extension. Mm. Now, that's, that's a great way of accommodating something when we don't know what the problem is. Um, however, we do know what the problem is. Um, so the problem is in... It's with assignments, it's, it's basically, it's a big task that's weeks away that, um, uh, so, so for someone with um, problems with self-regulation of, of their motivation, it's, um, it means that, that to them, it's big and it's complex. I can't pull it apart in my head easily, even though intellectually they know what they need to do. But it's, it's holding it all in their forefront of mind at the, at the right time. Um, but also too, like three or four weeks away is forever if you don't have a strong perception of time. So why should I, how, how can I prioritize that over anything else when it's, I don't really, I haven't really untangled what to do and it's a long way away. So really the critical thing with assignments is, is for support services, if they can make themselves available for some really concrete planning, and, and look, some do do this and it's fantastic, is if they'll actually be there and say, well, you know, the moment your assignments come out, come and see me, We'll sit down and we'll spend 15 minutes mapping out the assignment. 
And I always use the backward planning process, which I'm sure a lot of people do. So start with handing the assignment in. So when do you want to hand it in? Do you want to submit it at midnight online along with 3,000 other people and risk the internet being down? Because I've got people that will wait till one minute to midnight and do it, right? Um, instead, why don't you pick a due date? Pick a due date that suits you, maybe a couple of days before. And I, I encourage them to think about buffer time. So, and my buffer time for an assignment is if every, if the world caught fire, well, it literally is right now, but if, if the world was burning and, 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 and I couldn't get to it till the last minute, how many days would I need if I was working consistently to knock that out? And so it's this safety net. And usually it's two or three days. And then from there, you work backwards. So what's the last thing you did before you hand it in? You do a draft review. You allocate a job to that. And then you work backwards, you know, check the referencing. And then you're going back into writing usually the intro and conclusion last. And then the body points and working back that way. Back into research, planning the essay, all that sort of stuff, right? Right back to understanding the question and allowing time to really soak into the question, okay? Now, if you break those down, they can break down into usually just no more than a couple of hours each, most of them if you break them down into your mm. steps. And then you scatter them across the time between now and when you want to hand it in. And, and, you know, when you do that, you'll find that you don't have to put it every day if you don't want it. You can pace them out. But the beautiful thing about that is it means you get two great values. One, you get flexibility, that you can move them if you need to um, because you, you've created space. But the other thing too is you get this free processing time that the, the sleep between, the day between stuff, means that it's still germinating in your head. And with ADHD, you're probably talking to someone about it. And that talking is a verbal processing. So, so if, if the uni people could sit down with them, plan from the start like that, and then create check-ins for them, just like supervisors do with you know, dissertations um, or thesis. So um, you know, create check-in points where they're gonna come and check in and, and talk about what they're delivering. Um, that would be a massive, massive improvement on delivery and a much better solution than extensions. Because it sounds extension, like that. It sounds like that sorry. talking about it is a really important part. Is that would that be right? So the actual process yeah. of talking about it, because I know that for a lot of our distance students, that's going to be a challenge, isn't isn't it? Because they're not seeing someone necessarily. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Verbal processing and and but but you know, okay. So this comes to another point too that the. <laughs> Yeah, you're good. Um, this point um, carries on to another point about what we can do to support um, people with ADHD. We can actively encourage what I call the coalition of the willing. So that's your support network. Now, the problem with ADHD is because there's the best intention in the world in terms of doing it, um, and, 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 you know, we intend to do it, and we intend to do it the best possible way, but then our self-regulation gets the better of us. Um, um, which is effectively our adaptation from our internal self-regulation and the world. You know, it's yeah. how we adapt between the two. Um, so the first thing we do is we stop talking to people. We yeah. stop telling our parents, our friends, our girlfriends, our boyfriends, our tutors, we stop telling them what we're doing. Because why would you tell them if you're just going to, they're going to ask you, so actually, no, I haven't done that yet. And they're going to look at you with that sad look on their face and say, why not? What were you doing? And then you sort of got to say, well, there was this really cool cartoon or, you know, there was a gig on or there was, you know, or I just forgot. You know? So, and, and when we do that, we lose a really powerful influence um, 
as humans. We, we're social animals. So what we need to do is, is be really, we need, to, we need to really tend that, as I say, coalition of the willing. We need to think about, well, okay, who's the immediate people in relation to this task? So say an assignment. So the immediate people would be my peers in the class, but it'd also be my tutor or supervisor and maybe my lecturer. If, if depending on how it's set up. <clears throat> so, okay, so they're the immediates, all right? So those people know the, the task well, but they don't necessarily know me well. So what, I, so what they can be encouraged to do is, well, explain to me your problem with achieving this task. So the support people at uni are fantastic knowing all the tasks, but they don't necessarily know what ADHD looks like for that person. So they, they can put the focus there. <clears throat> Pardon me. The second part is the um, the what I call the constants: family, friends, girlfriends, boyfriends. People going to see all the time. Actively telling them what your what your mission is, like your assignment or whatever, is really good. But what you got to remember is they know you well, but they don't know the task well. So informing them of the task gives you free processing time because like, we'd like to verbally process. But also too, it takes them into the journey, so they're going to ask. So, so that's great. Now, and the, the third one we're going to think about too, and particularly today, is what I, I call um, the peripherals. Now, the, these are people that we have contact with but don't know the task and don't know us well. And a big, big culprit for this is social media. And often what happens is we attribute way too much influence on the people we're connecting with through there. And what we need to remember is that we're not actually connecting with them. We're, we're, we're promulgating to them. We're, we're, we're promoting ourselves to them, but we're not really engaging with them at that level usually. So we've got to remember that, that that's not as important as those first two layers of social connectivity. And then the, the next thing is for those people who are supporting, we can help educate them by first saying, um, Let's think about intrinsic motivation. So self-determination theory, right? So what we want from the people around them is not conditional rewards. We want them to have unconditional rewards. We want them to, to be consciously trying to notice good things, performance-based things that are good, that, that are not sort of, uh, you know, conditional. So I'm not sort of saying, well, you have to do this or you don't get the praise. Instead, okay, well, you come and you haven't really done much of that first bit. You're supposed to be on the third bit by now. But, hey, you did start the first bit. Let's focus on that. What, how did you do that? Let's, let's, let's support that. Um, and also, too, like remember that these people are not broken, that they have the solutions. And if you let them verbally process, they will come up with them. You might have to give some examples sometimes because maybe they don't have the life experience yet. But if, if whoever the support person is, is able to say, you know what, um, yeah, you've got the, you can do this. Um, let's figure out how you can do this. So maybe going for someone with ADHD, um, if we work through, you know, people, place, um, if we think about, okay, well, maybe um, for people, maybe if you go to the library, and do it around other people who are doing quiet work. That might help motivate you to start. Or maybe you go grab your mates who are all doing the same assignment and sit around the table. And you do your own work, of course, no sharing. But, um, but it's being around them. Um, or maybe um, some of them go, go to a busy cafe. And the fact that everyone else is doing stuff and you've only got your uni stuff there to do is, is stimulating. Other people need to go to a quiet place. But, I mean, you can, you, there's a lot you can manipulate around what will engage you with that task. Um, so, so if, if we, if we keep the intrinsic motivation 
rules very high in mind, which is about it, the simple three is it, it, they should feel autonomous. So it should be their solution, not you directing them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they should feel confidence and we want to promote the idea of confidence. So asking about previous ways they've succeeded or how they even succeeded in small ways in this task and, and promoting that idea that they can do it. And finally, the relatedness or social relatedness that, wow, won't it be great when you get this done? All your peers are doing the same assignment. And also to that social recognition of we're really proud of you just for doing this thing. That's amazing. You know, so that those three are, are the simple rules for cultivating that the right sort of support for these people that sounds really good and and i like that you know it is there are things we can do i mean some it's easy to sort of say oh it's too hard or you know we just they've got to deal with it themselves there are small adjustments that we can make and just even that awareness that these are the challenges that they're having i know one of the ladies i was talking to um you know, for her, it was, she could get, as you were saying, she could get this uh, extensions, but mm. still not being able to meet that new deadline. Or if when she did get things in, not being finished. So, you know, it's, we sort of have the best intention sometimes when we think we've got a simple solution, but it, it isn't a simple uh, situation. And there's all those different layers that you're talking about that we need to be aware of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so maybe the question should be that if, if, if what we're doing is just accommodating the problem, does that tell us it's going to solve the problem in this just because we've got now a shorter time frame? Um, sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. Um, so in other words, if we've got to ask ourselves if we haven't discovered and resolved the primary issue that is stopping the performance, and it's not ADHD. It's whatever executive function challenge is happening mm. as a result of ADHD. Um, then, then we're not going to we're, we're not going to get anywhere. We're just going to recreate a. And actually, my, my partner, who's also a coach, mentioned this morning um, uh, when we we're on a walk about a client she had who got lots of extensions and um, said, oh, "What do you call them?" Um, <laughs> she said they were just like um, it was like being on a death sentence. <laughs> she said, it's never it ended. Like less time. It was like being on death row. You're just waiting for the the shoe to drop, right? So um, yeah, so yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. There are all the questions I had. Did you want to share a bit about what you've got planned for 2020? Because I know you've got some exciting um, projects. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so from Connect ADHD and EF Coaching, um, my partner and I, Monica, we, we work with people primarily one-on-one, but we've also run programs over the years. And we've partnered with a couple of coaches in America. And we have, we've got a new platform we'll be launching in the new year called ADHD YOU. Um, and um, so you can find that at ADHDU.com um, and uh, you can sign up for, for notification when things come available. But basically the programs we're starting with, we're doing a boot camp for college or uni, um, which will be going out in the US and here. Um, and um, that'll be like an intensive like four day, but for only about an hour and a half a day. Um, uh, five days, sorry, sessions where we're going to focus on specific areas. And the whole idea is to get you in the right mindset for college, set you up with the right tools before you go back to uni or college. Uh, um, much easier to do it in advance than in repair. Um, so that's, that's coming up. We'll be having details of that on the website shortly, but we'll be running a session in uh, late January and early February, late January, probably more for the US people in early February for um, Australian, but you can join either. Um, the other programs we're going to be launching um, 
after January and early February, uh, there'll be a full college program, which will be a year long program with live support as well. So these are self-directed online. So you go on and do it at your own pace. The resources are all there for the whole time to look at, but we'll be running live sessions a couple of times a week that you can come and join in on and ask questions and all that sort of stuff. Um, then there'll also be a couples program because that's another big problem with ADHD, um, which will be running in a similar fashion and also a families program, which is really about when kids are younger with ADHD, um, it's really about actually helping the, the parent understand how to be their coach. Um, so, um, so the families program will be, be launching them too. And then through the year, uh, there may also be a creativity program launching at the same time. It depends how much my holiday I give up. Um, <laughs> but through the year too, we're, we're actually planning a series of adult specific area set, um, programs, short programs with online content, which will include things like work and, um, relationships outside of the couple like families management um, uh, creativity one for women one for men um, an emotional regulation based one like quite a few because there's all these different patches that we see repeatedly in our practice and so what we're trying to do is create create a platform where people can get their needs met it won't be as costly as having extended one-on-one um, but also to it um, it means that they can you know, work through at their own pace and have um, their own resource and even you know share it with their, their family so their families can be part of it. So we'll be doing that. The other thing we'll, we'll probably, Monica and I will probably, we do a fair bit of speaking. So um, we will be around and um, we, um, this year and last year presented at um, the big US ADHD conference, we'll be doing that again. And for any of the educators out there, please um, look up ADPA which is the Australian ADHD Professionals Association. Um, it's, um, it's at adpa.org, A-A-P-D-A, no, A-A-D-P-A, sorry, <laughs> .com, no, .org.au. Um, and it's, it's been around for three years now, and we're members of that, and that's, that's um, basically all the ADHD professionals. So we've got researchers, um, professors of psychiatry, um, psychiatrists, psychologists, teachers, um, uh, coaches, um, OTs, we've got a full gamut of people who work with ADHD and membership and we have an annual conference late July. That's a great conference go to, it's in Melbourne this year. Um, but yeah, strongly recommend engaging and, and getting part of that because they also have a mailing list um, where we sort of communicate and share ideas and things that are happening around ADHD. And I think that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really great. Thank you, Jonathan. At and it's been a real pleasure and com coming up with some, I guess, realistic ideas around the things that we can do better that aren't going to necessarily cost the earth, but they could make the world of a difference. Um, I think that's really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, at the end of the day, my big takeaway message is to look at ADHD a bit differently, to think of it as a condition of adaptation. So it's, yes, there's a neurochemical reason and a, probably a neurostructural reason why we, we have this inconsistent performance in terms of our self-regulation, but we've got a dynamic environment there impacting with the dynamic world environment that we all deal with. And it's our systems that sit in the middle that get ultimately impacted. So if we think about that, if we ask ourselves the question, if I'm working with someone with ADHD or if I have ADHD, what am I not adapting successfully at right now? And just change that one thing. 
And that's, that's, that's the easiest way to start actually solving um, life. Oh, and I should also add too, um, you can find me at connectadhd.com uh, or my partner, Monica. Um, I'm always happy to talk to people, always happy to, for people to reach out and find out more about ADHD and, um, and uh, coaching. Thank you so much for your time, Jonathan. Um, you've been very generous and I know we had a really good chat the other day as well. So I really do appreciate it. And um, thank you. That's all for today's podcast. Well, thank you very much, Tanya. Okay. the end of this episode of the student experience podcast i hope you can join us next week for another great interview